It's time for Love Talk with the Love Ladies, Kathy, Carrie, and Marley. Hello, friends, and welcome to Love Talk. You have found the Love Ladies, and I want to say a big thank you to our producer, Gavin. He... Oh, man, he puts up a little with a lot from the, the Love Ladies, <laughs> and we are just so thankful to him each and every program. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I am Coach Carrie Brinkater, and you are listening to today's Christian Talk, The Bridge, Austin, 101.1 FM and 1120 AM. And we are so grateful and thankful that you have found us on this beautiful Saturday morning. I am in studio with my amazing co-host. Kathy Enderbrock and Marlene McMichael. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Coach Carrie. It's great (laughs) to be with you. Well, I tell you, today we're going to be talking about uh, just a big topic, a really big topic that has Mm -hmm. been affecting all of our lives. And, you know, we've been kind of hesitant. Do we do this program? Do we not do this program? And we've decided, you know what? Yes, we're going to push, push forward and we're going to do this program. And parents, this program is for you. We are talking about courage for parents amidst the LGBTQ movement. And we have a very special guest on to speak with us, uh, about this and to give us some hope, to give us resources, to give us a, a really godly biblical perspective on what is going on right now uh, with our kiddos. And so, friends, we would just let you know if uh, this program may not be super suitable for kiddos under 13 years old. So if you have kids that are listening to this program and there's some conversations that maybe moms and dads, you're not uh, quite ready to have that yet you might uh, keep them busy with something in another room. Absolutely. Uh, good morning, Marlene. How are you today? I am great. Good morning. It's been a long and busy week, and uh, <laughs> so I'm glad it is almost over, but I'm very excited about this program today. Absolutely. Timely information here, and I know that if you think about it, your life has probably um, been affected in some way by the LGBTQ movement. And so today we are just diving headlong into this topic that is, um, it's really all around us, friends. And I guess maybe Kathy Marlene, the older I get, I'm just like, you know what? Don't shove the things under the rug. You got to just talk about all of it. Um, We call it at our house, hard conversations with mom. (laughs) And We typically have those um, quite frequently, and we just uh, have really started talking about the hard things that, you know, we just need to get out in the open because when you bring things to the light, many times they're not as hard as you think they were. You know, and I love that, especially over the summer. I mean, this I think we can officially say since it's June, it's summertime, (laughs) some, some summertime. And so we might find ourselves in the car with our with our kiddos going on a long road trip. And, you know, we can kind of take those cell phones away and have some of these conversations and talk about what is going on, what is in the schools, maybe what they might be seeing on social media Mm -hmm. and um, and talk about godly principles around around this this issue. And um, 
you know, it, it's it's so interesting because we see re- that this LGBTQ movement has really gone from a message of, of really basic inclusion and acceptance mm-hmm. to now starting to aggressively pursue children and young adults in our schools, in our media, in our entertainment, and oftentimes exposing children to some, you know, sexually explicit information as well that, that we maybe were not ready mm-hmm. for them uh, to be exposed to. And, you know, I know moms and dads' children, they're our precious gift, and it is our job as parents to protect them and to guide them uh, in the ways of the Lord. And I think parents and churches alike are often unsure how to address what they see happening in the schools and in society, which increasingly embraces uh, uh, these lifestyles, which we feel are really opposed to our Christian uh, values in our Christian heritage. And so today we're here to say God always has an answer. Mm-hmm. His His word is the word for our life. And no one comes to Christ perfect without weakness or brokenness or hurts or burdens, even addictions. But our life in Christ is meant to be transformative. It is meant to be a walk from darkness into light, from confusion into peace and certainty, and especially a walk from rejection into the wholeness and sweetness of of God's love. And so, you know, we do want to be very aware of what is going on in what seems to be a very cultural movement that cancels anyone who stands opposed to it. We cannot we cannot look in the face of this with fear, but with courage. And, you know, I just personally, I, I step back and I look at how the nation stands by almost and watches the rates of mental health and depression and suicide and drug abuse skyrocket among those who have embraced uh, some of these alternate lifestyles within this. And uh, friends, you know, God has brought to light what has been hidden. And so we're going to discuss what God has brought to light today. And we've uh, we've brought on a, an incredible advisor who is going to help us walk through this. And I just I want to say, you know, I think I'm if you're good, ladies, I can go ahead and introduce him. Marlene, I know that there's a scripture that we've anchored this program with. Do you want me to share that scripture now? Why don't you share that scripture now, and then I will go ahead and... I caught the cue there. (laughs) So the scripture verse that that we've selected today is is this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires and that's Romans 8 5 and that is so true because mm-hmm. we are called to live his life and to lay down our own so this is a reminder of that but the second verse is the heart is deceitful beyond all things who can understand it and that's Jeremiah 17 9 mm-hmm. yeah I, I love that verse Jeremiah 17 9 the heart is deceitful among all things who can understand it and that is so opposed to the message that that we hear today and I'm um, I'm just looking forward to being able to talk through this with our special guest well our special guest today is Ricky Shillette and he is executive director of Living Hope Ministries. His vision, compassion, leadership, and passion for the truth has helped Living Hope grow and expand amidst a culture that is often antagonistic to its its mission. And over 30 years, over 30 years in ministry, Ricky has vast experience speaking to and journeying alongside Thousands of men, women, friends, and family of those who have been struggling with gender, identity confusion, and same-sex attraction. 
Ricky holds a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science, Pre-Law, and a Master of Arts in Religious Education as an ordained minister. And he has actually taught at seminaries, colleges, and universities. And uh, he's also spoken throughout the U.S. and abroad. And he also serves as pastoral staff at the First Baptist Church Arlington as an ordained pastor. And he, I love this because he steps in, but he still has, you know, things that he enjoys himself, which friends, we need to have those things that God has wired into us. He loves to travel, to cook, paint, write, and read. But most of all, he loves seeing people's lives transformed by Jesus. And I I just love that. Ricky was joyously married for 30 years to the late Merlinda Allen Shillette, who went to be with the Lord in April of 2019. And this is what I love about Ricky Shillette, that he has been stepping into the need for individuals, churches, and communities. And he has seen God bring healing and wholeness to countless young men and women who struggle with identity confusion. And friends, he is going to help equip us today with some wisdom and understanding around this confusing and often divisive topic. Mm. Welcome to Love Talk, Ricky Shillette. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It's great to be here today. Well, we are, we are thrilled to have you today, Ricky. We are excited to, um, introduce our listening friends to you. Uh, listening friends, if you go to our, archives um, at Love Talk Network. We actually interviewed Ricky about five years ago, Kathy. It's been a long time ago, um, but um, our interview with Ricky five years ago really has impacted both of us for many, for all of these years. Yes. You have often talked about the, that interview, and so we're so grateful to have you back with us, um, Ricky. We would love for our listening friends to know um one of the most important questions of the day, how did you come to know that Jesus loves you? Wow, that's a great question. And, you know, I grew up in uh, South Louisiana. I had uh, a mom and a dad that loved me very much. They got married really, really young when they had me. And so they were kind of kids themselves and, mm-hmm. and did the best they could, I think, trying to to raise me. But um, the reality was that, that I was a... Um, I didn't know much about religion at all. We didn't have much of a religious family. And I was uh, a pretty uh, precocious little boy in the sense that I was a super sensitive little kid who who was, you know, somewhat gifted and talented and did well in school and, and seemed to be, you know, what I think most moms maybe wanted to have in a little boy. But my dad was gone a lot, and he worked to try to support the family, but he wasn't around. And I had lots of women in my life. My mom had two sisters. I had two grandmothers. But none of them uh, were married. They were all... Uh, separated or divorced or never married. And so um, I just had all these ladies in my life, which was great. I got lots of attention. I loved it. Got along well with all of them. But as I began to grow older, uh, one of my grandmothers married uh, married, and, and suddenly I had a grandfather for the first time. And I was really excited about that. And he was this great guy. He came into my life and he started loving me and spending lots of time with me and taking lots of interest in me. But what the family didn't know is that he was also a pedophile and began to uh, molest me and groomed me at a really young age. And, and that went on for nearly two decades in my life off and on. Mm-hmm. And it, it became such a normal part of, of what we did together that I just thought this must be what you do with grandfathers because I didn't really have anything else to, to gauge that against. And, um, and it wasn't until really I was in high school that I, I realized that, wow, what I was feeling uh, was homosexuality and 
and what was happening wasn't normal, and it wasn't what everybody else was doing, and it shouldn't have been happening. And I think I knew that at some point, you know, earlier, but but it was one of those things that really kind of crystallized in my high school years, and, and I remember even having some, you know, kind of inappropriate thoughts about some of my high school friends. I knew I didn't want to do that. I knew that's not who I really desired to be. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. Uh, I wanted to be normal. And so there was a point at which I... I realized, well, okay, people who have problems, especially problems like this, they, you know, they just pray and they pray to God and things go away and God makes it better. So I prayed and prayed and prayed some more and prayed some more still and yet the feelings didn't change. And so finally I thought, wow, if those feelings won't change, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I need to change. Maybe something needs to happen in me. So I thought, well, if they won't go away, maybe I should go away. And mm-hmm. so, Seeing that my feelings wouldn't go away, I decided the best thing to do was just to kill myself because I didn't want to live the life that I was feeling. And so I snuck into my mom's room early one morning, grabbed all the medicine I could find in the medicine cabinet, uh, chugged it all down, went back to my room, got under covers, and waited uh, to die. Well, later that evening, my mom discovered what had happened, and somehow the Lord, I guess, intuitively knew to talk to her or speak to her somehow. And she found me, and, and I didn't die that evening. They brought me to the hospital and whatnot. But no one ever talked about what happened that night. They never said a word about it, never asked why or nothing. Uh, so as time went on, another six or eight weeks passed, I was even more depressed. I felt like I couldn't even be successful at killing myself. So this time I, mm. I went into the gun cabinet of our house, grabbed the pistol, uh, loaded it up with, with shells, and went back to my room late at night, locked the door, Got that pistol, got down on the side of my bed, knelt on the side of my bed, put that pistol in my mouth, and I was just about ready to pull the trigger when I remembered I had been to church only a few times with a friend of mine, a guy in my class, an amazing, amazing fellow, an amazing family, that uh, he was a pianist, and he had asked me to come sing in a recital for him, and so I told him I would do that, and he said, well, in order to practice, we need to go to church first, and we practice afterwards, so I was doing that, and I remember hearing about the gospel and how it could transform and change people's lives, and I thought wow, this is amazing, but I think it's pretty dumb. I think this is dumb to believe in a thousands and thousands of year old book. And these Christians are kind of weak-minded because they put all their faith in that. So I thought, this can't be me. But then I thought it might be the only hope that I have because his family was different than mine. They lived differently, loved differently. And so I thought, okay, God. So I took the, the gun out of my mouth, said out loud, God, I don't know if you're real, if you're true, if you can do what they say you can do. But if you can, I need you to do it right now or I'm going to pull this trigger and paint the wall red. And in that moment, Jesus came into me and he showed up in that room and he let me know that I will never leave you or forsake you and that I'll be a father to the fatherless. And that's still true to this day. He has been with me and has been faithful to me. Mm, Wow. Amen. Okay. Wow. That is an amazing story. And that is just the start. I'm so excited to hear how God took you through this, Ricky, and everything that you are doing uh, in this life that Jesus gave you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that, friends. We are going to get a word from our sponsors mm-hmm. who keep Love Talk on the air. They are good friends. We hope that you will make them your friends, too. And we will be right back with Love Talk and Ricky Shillette. Stay with us. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Love Talk with the Love Ladies. Coach Carrie Brinkader here in studio with Kathy Endebrock and Marlene McMichael and our special guest today, Ricky Shillette from Living Hope Ministries. Our topic for today, Courage for Parents Amidst the LGBTQ Movement. And Ricky just shared with us, um, you know, just a, a heart-gripping story of how... 
while he was in his room as a, a, a young man, um, literally ready to take his life, that he remembered a friend who had invited him to church, a friend who said, you know what, I'd like for you to come with me and um, let's, uh, you guys, we're, we're going to do some music together. And right. for some reason at that point, that friend popped into your head and you remembered the gospel and you remembered how um, church made you feel and that you had heard about a God who could transform lives. And at that point in time, you said, okay, God, I don't know if you're real, but man, if you are, I really want to explore further this transformation that I've heard about. And so, Ricky, you uh, put the gun down. And you uh, said, okay, Lord, I, I want to feel your presence. And you did that day. So I guess my question to you, Ricky, is what happened after that day? Did you have a life transformation? And how did you pursue the Lord? Or how, probably more importantly, how did, how did you feel God pursuing you in the months and years to come? Yeah, it, it, it was it was truly amazing. Um, you know, God just grabbed a hold of me that night, that evening. And I remember standing up from the side of my bed with that gun in my hand and just feeling this incredible sense of peace and presence of the Lord mm. and knowing that, you know, he had promised that he would be the father in some ways that I felt like I never had, you know, mm. he's going to walk with me and be with me. Now it was interesting because when I went back to school or went back with my friends or thought about wow, am I still feeling those attractions that I once had? Some of those feelings were still there, but I felt like I had a new purpose, a new a new vision for who God had created me to be. And I, I began to read his word, and, and it was so amazing to me because I remember reading his word before thinking it was silly and dumb, and I never understood it and couldn't make sense of it. Now I opened his word, and suddenly it was like speaking to me and just lifting off the and I ended up spending every free moment I could just devouring the scripture and trying to learn as much as I could from God about who He was and who I am and what He wanted me to be. And in the process of that, uh, just began to you know get involved in, in a church and and got in a small group and started to learn about Jesus. And I was so ignorant about anything Christian. I remember sitting in a, a Bible study with these amazing couple that was teaching the Bible study, and, and they said, "Okay, tonight." Uh, you know, um, I want you to turn to Matthew. And so I started looking around at all the guys next to me thinking, okay, which one of you are Matthew? Like, we're going to look at you. You're going to help us. But I realized, oh, no, this is actually a scripture passage. And I don't know anything about where is this Matthew, you know. And so uh, being able to just kind of learn. I mean, I was totally ignorant, totally ignorant to the things of God. Uh, I mean, I knew general stuff about being a good person. My, my parents were moral and all that sort of stuff. But but I just had never really explored God's word. And as I did, his word began to sanctify me and change me and transform me. And ever since then, I've been, I've been one of those people that are just really committed to the word of God. I, I, I believe that is where the power is. That is where transformation happens. And I've seen that in my own life and in the lives of thousands of others in the process of me walking with them through God's word to discover who he's really created them to be. That that is incredible, and so I, I want to talk about some of these things that are, um, you know, kind of happening in our schools now and within our culture. Uh, there was this um, uh, an, an article that I, I saw, you know, that Ken 
Paxton and our, our legislators, well, I guess Ken Paxton's our AG, but his name was in the story. They were talking about these sex transition clinics that were popping up around uh, Texas. And I think there's was like seven of them and that children even as early as age eight were were being brought in for hormone therapy and and that down the line it was planned for them to actually get like physical surgeries to change their sex and and I just think gosh as a six-year-old I just can't imagine um, uh, making that decision and and yet the parents, you know, some parents are like gung ho on this, but you know, we've seen in the news, especially where the mom and dad are divided, or the parents don't want this to happen. Uh, but this is being supported by the schools and individuals within the schools that say no, parents are just caretakers. The the school needs to make sure that this child is getting what they want, and um. And, and the school needs to come alongside and help them to fulfill what their feelings are telling them their identity is. How is this? How is this dangerous? What does this lead to? And what can we as parents do? Yeah, I think this is one of the most frightening realities that are taking place right now in our culture, and it, it just breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart for the parents, and it breaks my heart for the kids. Uh, because number one, I, I, I strongly do not believe that a child at five or six years old knows enough about anything to be able to make a decision that is going to impact and alter the remainder of their lives. Um, the, the treatments that, and the blockers that are being given, I mean, these are all chemicals that are radically transforming and changing or preventing the normal kinds of transitions that normally would happen, happen during puberty. Uh, it's preventing those things from happening. Um, now, all that to be said, I, I am not in any way discounting the reality that some children may in fact suffer with actual gender dysphoria, which, you know, is a diagnosable mental condition that children need to deal with and appropriate medical professionals need to help with. Uh, but, but what we're seeing, and I think many of these cases, is not so much uh, an actual gender dysphoria as there, as it is a a cultural narrative that's being impressed upon children that if you uh, don't fit into stereotypic sorts of behaviors, then you must in fact be the opposite gender, which is in many ways very antithetical to what the LGBT community had traditionally said because they didn't like those very narrow definitions of, of uh, gender identity and, and, and social um, interaction. But yet they're using those very things to really push these kids into those new realities which are not scientific nor really uh, consistent with reality at all. I mean, a little boy may take hormones to block uh, his maturation process, but no matter how many hormones he takes, he's never going to become an actual girl, nor a girl become an actual boy. And and it, it's so it's so disturbing to me on on a on an emotional, compassionate level, that 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 I, you know, it, it's just almost hard to talk about it because I know the parents are perplexed. Uh, the kids have often been told, and the parents have often been told that if you don't allow your child to do this, they're going to commit suicide. And the parents will often say to me, "Well, I'd rather have, you know, a transgender kid than a dead kid." Well, unfortunately, the statistics say that that if your child goes through all this and actually transitions, there's a higher percentage 
that they'll try to kill themselves after the transition than before. And and so it seems that that rather than encouraging a child to embrace something that isn't real, would it not be better to talk with the child about how it is that God has actually created them to be, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew them before they even came into existence and he knit them together in their mother's womb. And, and they're not a mistake in any way, but they're a beautiful, beloved creation of God. And, and if they will embrace the reality of the giftings they have, which may in fact be a little different than a, a stereotypic boy or a stereotypic girl, but that doesn't make them gender. It just makes them especially gifted God's grace and goodness. You know, I love that point because I think that we've put on this or we've allowed this lens to be put on us where we see everything in terms of sex. And I I love what you say is that, okay, if you feel like you're a boy living in a girl's body or a girl living in a boy's body, well, okay, let's just take sex off the table. What do you feel like? What interests you? What excites you? What, you know, what are your thoughts yeah. about? Because, and I think as well that when we are introducing, uh, this kind of, uh, these sexual topics in school at these early, early ages, we are kind of awakening in these kids and, and, um, introducing in these children things that they're really not meant to be talking about yet that they're not meant to be processing yet because i i love that when when kiddos i remember this with my girls they don't see skin color they don't see a black and white and brown they don't really see sex girls hold hands with girls girls hold hands with boys it's just sweet sweet relationships and i remember you know my my daughter i was talking with her about the adorable hair that one of her school friends uh, had and she goes well which which one and I said well it's that cute little black girl in your class and uh, and my daughter said I don't there's nobody black in my class she goes well I think we have a couple that are kind of brown mm-hmm. and and I thought oh that's just adorable because they don't see it that way and we're almost destroying a good healthy development mm-hmm. by introducing these uh you know, these binary sexualized topics so early on where the kids aren't actually able to discover who they truly are outside of that uh, narrow definition. Uh, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And and, uh, you know, it, it what you're saying is so real and true that these kids just love each other for who they are. Mm-hmm. And and they are they're accomplishing what so much of the activists are hoping to accomplish, but they're actually accomplishing it in a very pure and real way Mm -hmm. by just simply walking with and loving on and being friends with uh, whoever is in their class and and in their school. Uh, They're not seeing it as a sexual thing. And I think when you you flip that switch of sexuality in a child who isn't really ready cognitively to process that, what you do is turn on something that really can never be turned off. And I think it's why Song of Solomon warns us, you know, do not awaken passion before it's time. Because when you do, you can't unawaken that passion, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we're doing that. And and another thing, too, I think that parents would, would do well if, if your child says that they're experiencing some of this, uh, to really, you know, ask them, how is it that you feel this? Like, what are you feeling? And, and it's it's interesting to me because if, if I, you know, I remember when I was a little boy, I told my mom that I wanted to be a horse. And I had this fascination with horses. I grew up in New Orleans. We're in the city. We'd see these big parades. They'd have these big Clydesdales that would come. I thought they were the most beautiful animals I had ever seen. And, and I just wanted to be a horse. 
And I remember running around the house and neighing and baying and doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, but my mom never looked at me and said, okay, well, gosh, it looks like you're a horse. You're doing all the things that horses do. We're going to build you a barn and we're going to feed you hay and we're going to put you <laughs> in the backyard. Uh, you know, what she said to me was, you know, you can pretend to be a horse and that's okay to play that way. But, you know, you're a little boy and you're my boy and, and that's what you are. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's good. And that was the end of that. Uh, there was no one reinforcing that reality, no matter how much I was accurate in my portrayal of horse likeness, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I, I was still a little boy. And so I think to, to ask a little boy, how, how is it that you think you feel like a girl? Because ultimately, whatever feelings I have as a as a person is embodied within how I'm created. So I can only think boy thoughts. Now, I may think that my boy thoughts are what girls might think about. But the reality is I only have boy thoughts. And so to say that I know what it feels like to be a girl, this is what my body, this, you know, my body is confused. No, it's just what I think my body might be saying to me that a girl might feel. And to be a little bit graphic, but maybe to, to, to bring this point home a bit, you know, I, I don't know what it feels like to have a cycle, a menstrual cycle, and, and to have that experience in my life. Now, being married for 30-plus years, um, I had a wife, and she had that experience, and it was not a pleasurable experience for her. And I remember one time <laughs> saying to her, oh, honey, I know exactly what you feel like. And she looked at me, uh, you know, as, as she should have, and said, <laughs> honey, you have no idea what this is like, <laughs> you know. And she was absolutely right. I could empathize, but I certainly couldn't experience what she was experiencing because what she was experiencing was, in fact, unique to being a woman and to being made a woman by God. Just like there are experiences that I have as a male sexually that she can't experience. Mm -hmm. And so we need to honor that and we need to help our kids see, no, you can't think like a girl. You can only think like you and you're a boy. Well, what happens, Ricky, when, you know, people outside our family are telling our kids, you know, you're, you're a you look like a girl, but you're really a boy, or vice versa. I mean, when they're putting these impressions and these thoughts on them, and particularly in our schools, how, do, how does a parent react to that and deal with that in a, in a really a godlike way? Yeah, and it, it's so important that parents respond to that appropriately. And really that response, actually, I believe, happens even before school does. Because what needs to be happening in every parent's home, they need to be diligent about talking about God's creation and, and God's intention for their children, uh, literally from the time their children are born. Now, obviously, oh, you don't want to have a, yeah. a very explicit conversation about sexuality with a one or two year old, but but I think that you know the the consistent affirmation that you know God made you a little boy, God made you a little girl. It's great that you are what God created you, and it's different than what it is to be a boy or different than it is to be a girl. Um, and just affirming those things, talking about those things on a regular basis. I think a lot of parents are really hesitant to talk about sex with their kids. And I think that largely comes from their own personal hangups about sex. Uh, and maybe even some of the things that took place in their own lives that they're yet to really bring before the Lord and to deal with effectively. So I, I think the first step is always begin early to talk to your kid about sexuality. Uh, let them know that God has created them a male or a female. And those are the only options. There, there, there's not any other option but that binary reality. And that is lived out in every other aspect of creation. We see it all around us, mm -hmm. uh, in the animal kingdom, in the insect kingdom, in the plant kingdom. 
Um, you know, we see this beautiful creation of male and female. And so, uh, you know, to be able to talk about that early, I also think, too, that y- you need to be the one as parents to define your child's worldview or the world will define the view. And so when you're um, having school and media and, uh, you know, everything the kid is accessing is telling them that, hey, you don't know who you are. Go out there and try all these different options and whatever one you think feels best is the one you should do. Well, that is a that is a recipe for disaster in anything else with the exception of sexuality in our culture. You know, you don't want to experiment with every drug to find out what drug you need. You don't want to experiment, you know, with all kinds of of, of uh, things that we would consider sinful or wrong uh, just to find which one is right. No, you do what you know is right. That's why we have parents. It's why we have laws. It's why we have God's word. Um, all of those things help direct us and guide us into what is best for us to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so I think communicating that often and frequently with your family, it's what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 tells us that, you know, we're supposed to teach our children at every moment of the day. You know, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go to do what you do, you need to be instructing your children about who they are and who God is and who they who they are in relationship to God. So let me let me put you in the hot seat here just a little bit, Ricky. Um, you know, uh, very concerning that the numbers are not substantially different among those who self-identify as a Christian. Even some young people who've been um, brought up in this, uh, in, in, in a Christian home that have been told you are created, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, um, you know, uh, there's a binary reality. This is God's creation, God's design. A Barna study shows that uh, millennials who identify as Christian um, and also as somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum, that it was only a little bit lower, slightly lower, uh, about 30 percent um, than those that do not identify as Christian. So, Oh, goodness. You know, I think this is um, part of the thing that that I struggle with. You know, where are we to go with these statistics and with our realities, really? Yeah, I I, I think it's really tough uh, with all the narrative that we have from the world. But sure. But I do think there is some reason for this this change happening. Um, yes, I do think. Christian kids, kids who've been brought up in Christian homes and go to church, have heard a little bit about that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and, and that's a good thing and, and that sort of stuff. But they also haven't really heard much about biblical sexuality. Mm, uh, I also think yeah. that we're now living in the most connected but disconnected world. And by that, I mean that, that we have unbelievable amounts of information that's pouring into our hearts and lives every single day. But at the same time, uh, we're very disconnected from real life uh, relational reality with human beings. Um, mm. I, I am amazed at how many families sit at the dinner table with their phones and even sometimes are texting each other, oh. but don't put the phone down and have an eyeball to eyeball conversation with each other. Oh, man. And so we're living in a world that I believe lacks incredibly a sense of belonging. And all these mm. kids are looking for belonging. I mean, families are more disconnected, community is recognized, but it's not realized. And so they they all want to be a part of a community. They all think they're in some kind of community, whether it's online or, or whatever, but, but they're actually not experiencing community with people who are walking with them. So I think that's a critical component. 
Uh, I think the cultural narrative is is screaming loudly in the kids' ears at every moment. I mean, I've had kids who are, you know, obsessed with TikTok and, and have gotten to the point that they believe everything they're seeing. And it's exposing children to all kind of sexually explicit material at younger and younger ages. The smartphone has certainly done that uh, with all of our kids. And we see, you know, parents mm-hmm. handing six-year-olds and seven- and eight-, ten-year-olds, you know, phones to entertain them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not. And then I think we have the the lack of just family blessing. You know, the, the scripture talks a lot about blessing the children. Uh, and, and to me, the most vivid example of that and the one that kind of blows my mind is really in Matthew 3.17 where Jesus himself gets baptized and the heavens open and, and God says to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I look at that passage mm-hmm. and I think, wow, the Savior of the world needed a blessing from his father mm-hmm. to inaugurate his ministry in the world. Mm, wow. And I think, wow, how much more do we as individuals need the blessing of our moms and dads to affirm us and to say, we see you, we understand you, we are thrilled with who you are we love you and are well pleased with the man of god or the woman of god that you are wow ricky thank you so much for that we are all busy writing down that in our notes matthew three seventeen. thank you for that i've never seen that take on that passage in scripture and i love it well yeah. so we have about three minutes left in this second segment and something that i really want you to share with our listening audience because it's such an incredible resource for them you have the um largest online support forum in the world um, for individuals who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Can you tell us about this uh, Living Hope Ministry support forum and how they can help individuals, how, how parents can get their kids on this forum? Is there a forum for parents? Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, we've been doing this since, gosh, 95 or so, so it's been a long time. And uh, we've had, you know, 30,000-plus individuals that have come through there from 170 countries all around the world. So you don't have to be in Texas to be a part of this. You can be anywhere in the world. And what you have to do, it's free, it's moderated uh, to make sure that it stays biblically focused and centered. Um, It's confidential and it's anonymous. So you could actually be a screen on your screen name can be anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to be your real name. Now, in order to participate in it, you do have to fill out an application because we vet everyone that comes on, and you have to give us accurate information because we check it and look at it, uh, but but it's free of charge. It's just something our ministry does, and we have groups for friends and family, which would be parents of those who are struggling. We have group for men and women and young adults, meeting adults, single adults, married adults, as well as wives of men who struggle with same-sex attraction. And uh, and it's a place where you go. There's no uh, you can't share emails or pictures or links to your websites or products or anything. Strictly a text-based forum that allows people to share about where they are, what's going on in their lives. For the friends and family, the parents, it's a great place to connect to other parents. And we have a um, a friends and family director who moderates that forum, and she's on there. She has a kid uh, that is you know identified as. Uh, in, in, in the LGBT group, and she understands how parents feel and where they're coming from, and she responds and prays, and and other parents jump in and talk about, hey, I did this and this worked, I did this, this didn't work, you know, mm-hmm. let's pray for our kids, and they pray for one another. Just an amazing place of support for people to be able to talk openly about what's going on in their lives. And where do they go to access that forum? Yeah, they just go to our uh, website at livehope.org, L-I-V-E-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, 
and you'll see a link on there. It'll talk about online forums as one of the helps that they can get. And uh, just fill out the application. It takes two or three days for us to look through the application, get it approved, and then we'll send you an email saying you're ready to roll. Wow, that is that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, Ricky, we still have questions for you. As Carrie mm-hmm. is saying, keeping you in the hot seat yeah. <laughs> uh, this entire time, this hour, you may have to go sit on some ice after this <laughs> program is done. But friends, we are going to go to a break to hear from our amazing sponsors who keep Love Talk on the air. And we're going to have more with Love Talk and Ricky Shillette. Stay with us. And welcome back, friends, to Love Talk. We are discussing courage for parents amidst the LGBTQ movement with Ricky Shillette, Associate Director of Living Hope Ministries. And we just so appreciate that incredible uh, forum that you told us about, Ricky, for those who are struggling with same-sex attraction uh, and parents of those and wives of those who are struggling with same-sex attraction, something there mm-hmm. for everyone. And you can get that at Live Hope. Live Hope. Live Hope. L I V E H O P E dot org. Look for online forum and you can sign up for that application to join that forum. Completely anonymous forum and mm-hmm. biblically focused. So appreciate that. And Marlene, I know going out you had a question for Ricky. I do, but first I wanted to um emphasize how important the segment last time was. Yeah. I mean, I told Ricky earlier that he needs to put his testimony in a book, but he mm-hmm. also needs to put a uh, create a book of, of parenting 101 that says all the things that we should be instructing our kids about when they're young, mm-hmm. you know, and affirming them and blessing them mm-hmm. and and talking about the fact that God created them wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. And I just I, I applaud that and think that is such yes. wisdom. But what happens if I'm a parent and my child comes home from college that first year and says, I'm not a girl, I'm going to, I want to transition into being a boy. Mm-hmm. How does a parent react to that in a way that, again, loves them, but also speaks truth? Mm-hmm. You know, Marlene, that, that's probably one of the questions that I get. Uh, when I do conferences and speaking, um, I, I get that question all the time. And, and what I tell parents first and foremost is don't panic. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't react. Don't um, just freak out because your child has said something that has just shattered your perception of not only who they are, but what their entire future is going to be. And that is a very hard thing to control because that parental aspect of you is going to want to kind of you know, explode into, oh, my gosh, this can't be, this isn't true, you know, that's not right, you know, don't go there. Just don't panic, don't freak out, be calm. And the most important thing, I think, number one, thank them for their willingness to share this with you because you know that they know that you're probably not going to agree with them. So, so you know, say, I really appreciate you sharing this with me. I know that must be hard for you to talk about this with me. Um, and then I would begin to ask them some questions. Uh, ask them questions like, what do you actually mean by you telling me that you're non-binary or that you're transgendered or that you feel like you're, uh, you know, the opposite of what it is that God has made you to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so make sure that the, the words that they're using and the definition that you are meaning are the same thing. Because so often in these conversations, what the child is communicating 
is in fact not what you're thinking that word might mean. Mm. And because we live in this world where the LGBT community is changing the meaning of these identities almost on an hourly basis, it becomes very difficult to even know if we're communicating the same message. Mm-hmm. So ask them, what do you mean by that? Another question I would say is, well, how do you know that this is true? On what basis are you are you uh, using as an authority for for this being true for you? So I think we you know we talked about this just a, a little bit in the last segment, but you know for instance the idea that I am feeling like I am of the opposite sex. Well, how can you feel that way if you're not? Like that that's not really a possibility. But okay, explain that to me. Help me understand what you mean by that. Um, and then I would also ask like, who told you that? Who's the who's the the group? Who's the authority? Who's the book that you read that told you that what you're feeling is true? And then another question would be, what does this look like 10, 20 years from now? How do you see this playing out? Uh, do you become if you're a girl? Do you become a boy and you marry a girl? So are you attracted to other girls? Uh, does that make you actually a lesbian, or is that make you a transgendered person? Um, you know, help them see what does this look like when I live this thing out, not just today and how I feel, but in the future. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I would ask them that, uh, you know, how does this align with your understanding of what God says about who you are? Mm-hmm. Which then gives them to biblically, you know, assuming these children have been brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, uh, gives them an opportunity to biblically sort of work through their sense of, you know, exegete to what the Bible says about this. Now, they may say, well, you know, I don't know how it fits in. I just know how I feel. And this is how I feel. And my feelings tell me who I am. And at that point, I would make sure to, to stress to them that feelings, though given by God and are very important to us, feelings actually don't tell us who we are. They simply tell us how we are at any given moment. Feelings are sort of like... uh you know, sort of like the caution lights on the road when you're driving that tell you that something is not quite as it should be, or maybe they're the green light that tells you to go and this feels right, uh, but they never tell us who we are because those circumstances and situations can always change, uh, but our identity and who we actually are never changes. Mm-hmm. You know, when my wife passed away, uh, I was standing at the side of the bed and and the Lord met me again in that moment and said, I promised you I would never leave you or forsake you. And here I am bawling my eyes out because I'm seeing my my precious wife that I love for 30 plus years. And she's reaching up toward heaven like she's grabbing something and puts her hand down and doesn't suddenly breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, I cannot believe what's happening in this moment. But who I was in the moment never changed, even though my feelings changed immensely. It went from a feeling of great joy of having her there and kissing her on the forehead and holding her hand to, oh, my goodness, she's growing cold and I'm never going to see her again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But who I was didn't change that moment because my circumstances changed. And I think we have to equip young people to be able to live in a world where their circumstances are constantly changing, but their sense of self and identity never does. Mm, That is so incredible. You know, okay. 
I think I am going to go to our archives at yes. letstalknetwork.com <laughs> and replay this and replay this and write all of that down so I get the wording exact. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ricky, as we as we wrap up this program, we don't have a whole lot of time. I would just like for you to to share your heart with us about what what is your greatest hope that keeps you going and loving on others and doing this important work that um, is it, it can be it's so many turns divisive and and we want to be careful to love yet speak truth. What keeps you going? What keeps your strength sufficient for the task at hand? Yeah, I I, I you know, it's there are times when I I'll be honest with you ladies, I mean, there are times when I do get discouraged sure. because it seems that everybody is against me in some way. The church doesn't want me to necessarily come in and talk about this stuff because it rattles feathers and it ruffles feathers and rattles people's, you know, hearts and minds and and they're afraid they're going to offend someone and they're going to stop coming to the church or stop giving Mm -hmm. uh at the same time i am compelled uh by what i believe is truth to tell people that you know we you know we are going to all be changed and and in the twinkling of the of an eye when the lord appears we are going to be transformed and he promises in his word that when we receive him and know him and follow him, that the old things are passed away. Behold, everything is going to become new. Mm-hmm. And and I've seen that happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in the lives of thousands of other individuals that have come through living hope over all these years that I've worked with it. And, and I've seen that life change. I mean, I've seen men and women come here who thought they were the opposite gender or thought they were same-sex attracted and thought, oh, I'll never be attracted to a person of the opposite gender. I've seen God work in their lives form their lives to the point that they were attracted to the opposite gender, got married, now have children, and are now raising these amazing families that love Jesus and and serve the community. And so that constantly compels me, um, you know, to to want to share the truth with people and to let them know that God promises that He transform us. Um, I, I think First Corinthians is is a is a big thing for me. The whole chapter there, but there in verse. Um, 58, it says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so when I when I read that and I read Romans 1, it tells us that, you know, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, I, I just get excited. And, and I've seen that transformation take place by people believing God's word. And, and living into that. You know, words are important. Labels are important. Uh, the things we say about ourselves is so important. And if we're constantly saying that we're something that God didn't create, well, eventually what we believe will be how we live. And, and I, you know, it's one of the reasons I get in conflict sometimes with some of my gay identified friends who, who say, well, I'm a gay Christian. And I'm like, well, no, you really, that's contradictory. Like you, it would be like me saying, Christian or I'm a lying Christian or hateful Christian. Now, I may have those aspects of me in my life from time to time. That is not who I am. I am a child of God redeemed by the Father. And the blood of Jesus has covered me and caused me to be righteous when I'm not righteous and is seeking to work within me to do his will each and every day, even when I don't want to do it. Uh, You know, he's there to empower me, to help me to do it. So I just keep reaching out to folks, hoping that they'll 
have ears to hear and hearts to obey and believing that God will do what only God can do. Amen. Ricky Shalette, we thank you so much for being on Love Talk with us today. Friends, Living Hope Ministries, and you can find that at livehope.org. We uh, thank you so much for being with us, Ricky, for this important topic that is uh, all around us every single day. And listening, friends, I just want to remind you of Galatians 6, 9, that says, Do not grow weary in doing good. Let us need not become weary. Friends, um, the Lord is with us every single day, every single minute. Uh, we love you so much. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us at Love Talk Network um, on our archives. You can find us on Facebook at Love Talk Radio. Friends, for Kathy Anderbrock and Marlene McMichael, I am Coach Carrie Brinkater. We love you, and we'll see you next time right here on Love Talk.